Thank you for listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead Bible study groups using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and today I'm being joined by Darren Clark. Darren is the lead graphic designer for the adult ministry at LifeWay. Darren, thank you for being with us today. Man, thanks for having me. It's going to be fun. I look forward to it. Okay, this particular session, we're going to be looking at Job chapter 14, 1 through 14. I know last week we looked at chapters 1 and 2, and we've skipped ahead to Job 14. Let me just fill in some of the things that's happened here. We're introduced to three people, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They're three friends of Job. And if, by the way, while I'm thinking about it, pack item 10 is a handout that gives you more information about those three friends, tells you a little bit about what their names mean and some things that you can see about them, and it'll give you some context about their perspective throughout the book because they will be we will see them again in fact we'll see them all the way through the end uh, from now on you have this conversation that's going on job has suffered all this loss he's he, he's just in the dumps which I, uh, we would expect him to be and so here come his friends eliphaz bildad and zophar to help comfort him and they go through these series of conversations of dialogues. And the first one to speak up is Eliphaz. And he basically tells Job that he's suffering because he's done some kind of sin and he needs to confess that sin. Job it confronts him and says, "I have, if I knew what that sin was, I would confess it. So tell me what the sin is. Uh, then Bildad, and he piles on to what Eliphaz has already said. He even goes so far as to say Job's children deserve to die, and that if Job was pure and upright, then he would not be facing this. At that point, then Zophar, he jumps in, and he calls Job a hypocrite for claiming to be innocent. Job's heard all he can stand in verses, excuse me, in chapters 12, 13, and 14. He then replies to his friends, and we're looking at uh, that reply here in chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Let me just walk through the part of it that we're really focusing on, because there's three parts to the outline. First of all is questions. In Job 14, 1 through 6, we find Job reflecting on the brevity of life and the reality of judgment that awaits all people. Uh, he, he notes that this judgment is deserved since all humans are impure. He then pleads for God to leave him alone so he can gain some type of relief from his, bane, his pain during this short lifetime. The main point there for us is to understand that suffering in this world leads believers to consider the greater questions of life. Verses 7 through 12, we entitled Despair. In these verses, Job compared human life to a tree, noting the finality of death for humans. The main point for us is that viewing death as the final state for humans can lead to despair. We're going to talk more about that here in just a minute, Darren. And then the last section, verses 13 and 14, we have in, entitled that uh, section, Hope. In these two verses, Job characterized death as a place to escape suffering. He expressed a longing for life after death, realizing that this future life would come only through God's actions. A key point for us is that believers can find hope in God's promise of life in heaven. So let's jump in on some questions here, Darren. Job, he's responding to his friends, and they pretty much have told him, you know, that that we have good for righteousness, and we get bad 
for unrighteousness. What are some ways we find that expressed in our world today, that, that sentiment that if we do good, um, then we receive good. If we do bad, we receive bad. I mean, there's, there's so many ways because that's like, that's the, the thing I think is really, I mean, powerful in the sense that everywhere you look except for Christianity, it's works-based. It's like, if you do this, then this will happen. You know, as far as, you know, if you do enough good works, you will, um, you will earn God's favor. And, you know, and even just not even just in a religious sense, I think, you know, um, looking at different world religions, but even just human nature, like, you know, just performance based, you know, like in your job, you know, you do this, you get this, you get, you do bad or you do something wrong, then you get punished. It's like, it's just, it, and it goes right back to that root of our sin nature in, in that respect. But um, it, to me, it's like, it's so clear that it's, you know, and when you look at world religions, they're all works-based. It's, you know, and then there's a, this sense of punishment and shame and, you know, when you don't do right. And so it's, it just, I think that's, that's, that's the, that's the hand of the enemy that has infiltrated every aspect of world. Um, and so that's to me where I see it the most, I think. Yeah. It goes to, I kind of, the human view of what is just. And I find it always interesting too, that we like to compare ourselves to other people to determine that we're not as bad as that person. So we must be okay. And we forget the fact that all sin is sin. Job doesn't deny the, the impact of sin here. Uh, he makes the point that we die because of sin. That's just a part of, of life. He's not really being fatalistic in his tone. At least I don't see it. Uh, but he's just asking some hard questions here. Which, yeah. Let me let me think about it. Is it okay for us to question God here? Uh, are there any rules we ought to follow? Yeah. I mean, I love that idea. Like, the, the can you can you question God? I mean, I, I remember. I mean, I came to faith later in life. I mean, I was 29 before I committed my life to Christ, and um, and so I remember reading um, a passage in the Bible, and I can't. If this is where you got to help me, I can't remember. This- like. Was this before or after your salvation you were reading this this passage? <laughs> this is after, and this is where it's okay. like, you know, as I'm reading and discovering God's word and the truth, like there's a there's the the passage where it talks about um, who was it that struggled with God, wrestled with God, um, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. Um, it, just like that whole idea when I read that, and um, I was like, wow, it's like so because I never felt like I could. I felt like if I did question God, I was bad or you know, unfaithful or whatever. And, um, and so once, once I learned and even read other parts in scripture where there's people who doubted and, you know, questioned and whatever, and they wrestled with God in the sense of like wanting to know like why this or that, it gave me such freedom, um, to, I guess, to, um, to, to really fully discover the truth of God, because, you know, through that process, if it's authentic, I just, what I've learned, it's like, if you're really just honest with God, I mean, you have to be, he knows every thought, you know, but when you get really honest, like, God, I don't understand this. I don't get this, but, but you know what? And so like in going through that and getting it, but that's also that process of, well, if you're really ser- sincerely seeking truth, you're going to go through that. You're going to wrestle with God and you're going to get to a point where you're going to discover the truth or like the meaning behind stuff. And like, when we know a Job, you know, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but we know how this plays out. But, um, but I think it, it's, in, you have to encourage people to wrestle with that stuff. And that's where it's like that iron sharpening iron thing, you know? Um, and we have to, can't, I mean that, but there's this thing to me, what I see is there's a sense of like the enemy wants to, and this, I mean, this is what I felt like, like the enemy wanted me to be 
like, I guess, shamed in questioning, like sometimes even early on in Bible study groups where I might have been reluctant to ask a question because I felt like, well, everybody knows this or, you know, this is a dumb question or, uh, but it was something I was wrestling with and I wanted to know, but I, I, I held it in because I didn't want to look stupid or whatever. And, and so, but when, I think when we have an environment in groups and even whether it's one-on-one um, or a group or whatever, it's like we can say, okay, listen, <laughs> you know, if you got questions, let's wrestle, let's let, wrestle with these things. And because through that process that ironing, sharpening iron is when, you then become stronger, you become sharper, right? And so I just, I just love that idea, you know, can you question God? Can you wrestle with God? And it's like, I think so. I mean, w- would you agree? Yeah, I think you can honestly ask him the hard questions of life. This, uh, this is what he's doing. I, th- this leads him to a strong re- uh, understanding of his own shortness of life, his own brevity in life, but it also leads into the idea, the understanding that he can't be pure by himself. Uh, and he's realizing that without someone else to make him pure, he had no hope of standing or surviving before God, none yeah. whatsoever. That's there's a line in the in the in the PSG um, that I loved. It said, "How could anyone turn one's impurity into purity? Like, how can pure come from impurity? We can't do that." I, I mean, that, I, that, that's on page twenty-two, I think. I'm looking. I found it, it is. On page yeah, we've got to ask that question of. How do we stand stand before God knowing that we've committed sin and he's never done that and, and he's not going to do that? So I think it's important for us to wrestle with those kinds of questions at that point. You brought up being in a group and why it's so important for us to be a part of a group. It's not just important to be a part of a group, but as leaders, it's important for us to foster an environment where people do feel comfortable asking those hard questions. Uh, the groups that I've led, the best way I know to do that is for me to be willing to say, this is a hard question, and it's a hard question for me to wrestle with, too. Admitting my own doubts or my own challenges uh, and letting them see that that me as the leader, I don't have everything together. I'm questioning. I'm thinking, too. I'm growing. How I understand God today is different from how I understood him five years ago, ten years ago, those type of things. And I need to be willing to express that and think through that. Yeah. And I've heard, I've heard of so many stories, probably more than the positive side of this, but how many people um, who have, you know, taken that chance. And I think probably a lot of people can identify with this, but how many people have taken that chance of like, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable here. I'm going to express, you know, a thought or a question. And then I've, I've, I've seen this happen where the person then feels small because the leader or somebody else in the group kind of kind of belittled them maybe a little bit for whatever it was that they you know asked or, or stated and then shut down after that or left the group or you know god forbid left the church you know um you know it's so important that we understand and that a lot of people just don't have a lot of biblical literacy you know and, and it's so important that we you know again like we said before foster an environment that is very open to people's questions and and being able to wrestle with these truths. One of the things we see here with with, uh, Job is he focused on life afterwards and not just life here. He was thinking about what happens after this life is over. What are the dangers of focusing just on this life and ignoring the fact that there's life afterwards? I mean, talk about getting into the pit of despair. I mean, if, if all we do is focus on this, there's so many things that you, you can just find to bring you down. I mean, especially in you know the world today, because it does seem like everything is flipped in culture. 
You know, it's, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking there's so many things I could, you know, list off that it's like, especially when you know, like, this is what God's word says, but then you look at the world and it's like, everything is the opposite and it's embraced. It's celebrated. It's becoming more, you know, more embraced and celebrated than ever before. Um, and so like, there's tons you could find, but I mean, I, I loved it when, I can't even remember what it was specifically, but there's a point when, I don't know, is this one of those moments where, you know, he's listening to a sermon and it was talking about keeping your eye on the prize, kind of like, you know, running that race that it talks about in Hebrews. Um, and it just hit me. It was one of those moments where it's like, oh yeah, duh. You gotta, I've got to keep my eyes focused on, on Jesus. I got to keep my eyes focused on the goal and keep my eyes up, so to speak, as I'm sitting here looking up, which you can't see me, but like, you know, yeah. but it's like, you got, you've got to keep your eyes focused on the goal and the destination. Um, otherwise, there are so many things that, you know, you take your eyes off, it, you can get dragged and pulled into the ditch so easily, so easily. We, you think about uh, Peter being in, you know, getting out of the boat and walking on water and the storms around him mm -hmm. caused him to yeah. his eyes off Jesus and boom, there he went. And you could see that here with Job as well. It had been easy for Job to take his eyes off of God at this point and sink into that pit. He does kind of, understand I say this, his friends are kind of helping him dig the hole for the pit, by the way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I, I that you, you know, you've already mentioned the word of the, the pit of despair. Um, how would we help someone in our groups who are moving in that direction and all they see are the things happen around them that are, that move them, move them closer to that pit uh, you know, it almost sounds like if there's a part of me that thinks Job sounds like a, you'd rather die than live, but he leaves that decision to God. He's not going to make that decision. He even makes that that pretty clear that God is the one who makes those decisions, not not him. How could we help someone who is is facing those kind of challenges? How do we help them stay out of that pit? The first thing that comes to mind to me is this being in God's word. If we're not in God's word and we don't know God's word, how can we help anybody else? And to me, it makes that it comes back to that analogy of, you know, like you're on a plane and you lose cabin pressure, the oxygen mass drops. You've got to put on your mask first before, before you can help anybody else. I mean, that's the, the, the analogy I think of is like, man, if I'm in God's word, which we know is good for you know, encouraging, rebuking, training, you know, all that, all that stuff. It's like, if we don't know God's word, then we can't help anybody. You know, we might just, you know, result or um, resort to like, you know, just worldly kind of like, oh, this or that, you know, just these, any, any kind of, you know, encouragement that is based on, you know, what we get in the world today, but we've got to put, point people to the truth, to God's word, because that's, that's, that's our hope. That's where we can be, you know, um, strengthened, encouraged, um, you know, we get peace, um, all that kind of stuff. And so to me, that that's how we help others is by, you know, centering our lives around God's word and then pulling people when, cause it's almost like when you're talking about into that pit or whatever, it's like, you got to pull them, where, where are we pulling them back to, you know, we're pulling them back into, you know, relationship with God because they've lost that perspective. They've gotten their eyes off that, that, you know, your, your goal, we're pulling their eyes back to, God's word, you know, and fellowship and, you know, those things. And, and that fellowship's not so much with us. Job had fellowship with three friends here. I mean, <laughs> but, the but the fellowship is understanding who God is and growing into a deeper understanding of that, of yeah. who he is and him. It fascinates me sometimes when you ask somebody a question or you ask somebody, uh, uh, you tell somebody this is going on in your life and they never do get to scripture. Um, they always tell you what they think 
but they don't say, well, here's what I find in the Bible. That may be a red flag to us uh, in some ways to say, hey, I, I need to think about the friends I have. And is there anybody who keeps me focused on the father and on his word? And if yeah. there's not someone in your life who's doing that, then you need to think about who you can have in your life who would do that. Well, and that's the thing too, is like, I guess it kind of pops in my head when you say that is that, you know, it's so easy and I, and I kind of see a little bit of it, well, maybe not a little bit, maybe more than a little bit of like how worldly sentiment has crept into the church um, and even, you know, believers, um, you know, thoughts um, in, in that to me, that's, you know, the enemy subtly uh, bringing things into corrupt the the purity of God's word. And again, it just goes back to the, the importance of, uh, you know, us knowing God's word, reading it, um, you know, daily. And, you know, like Psalm one is a one Psalm one says, you know, meditate on God's word, you know, day and night um, and you'll be blessed. Um, but that whole idea that, you know, this is something that we meditate on day and night. And again, that's, it goes back to focus. I mean, that's how we keep our eyes, you know, on the goal, on our savior and, and that's where, you know, then that living water, then we're like that tree, you know, we got to get that person back to that, oh, yeah. that next to that river there of, of living water that is bringing us life um, and not wandering off, you know, you know, from the river there that gives us the life. So one of the things for us to think about when we're teaching this lesson is the use of pack item five. It's a poster and it has uh, it lists Job's statements of faith. There are four. Uh, statements of faith from the book of Job. One of them is in 14.4, where he declares that if it if it's so, in other words, if a person come back to life, then he would wait all the days of my struggle until my relief comes. And he's pointing to a statement of faith in God at that point, that God will come and relieve him. The second one is in Job 19, which we're going to look at next week in session three. And then the other two were both in Job 42, which is the very last chapter of the book, and we'll look at that later on in our study. But you, what you would do is show them this, help them understand this is his statement of faith. This is a this is not a negative uh, passage at all, even though it feels like it's a time of despair. It's a positive statement that he's declaring that even in death, he's going to wait for his relief, and he's putting his faith and trust in in God no matter what. And so that's his first statement. But as you go through this, this study, as you go through these different weeks, you're going to notice a progression uh, in these statements. They're going to get deeper and more, more clear uh, as we go through these weeks of study. So just keep that in mind. This is a good way to introduce that, show them that statement of faith. And then in the weeks ahead, then you can build on those other statements when we look at Job 19 and in Job 42. Uh, Darren, are there any other things you would share with our listeners about this passage before we go today? Man, I tell you, the, the one thing that really I, I just love that stood out to me was in um, in verse um, verse nine, and the, the scent of water makes it thrive and produce twigs like a sapling. Um, and in the in the um, PSG, you know, it, it, there's a part that says its roots are buried deep in the earth um, and its stump is dying, but the scent of water gives it hope. And it's like, I can't help but think of like, Jesus is, you know, he's the living water, right? Yeah. I mean, I love how like, when you really like see all these connections between the Old Testament and New Testament and uh, it just, it's so beautiful. And again, it reminds me of, 
of Psalm one, where it talks about, you know, being that tree that's planted by the river, um, you know, and its roots are deep. And it talks about that in the, in the PSG here. And even in the leader guide, you know, about the deep roots and those, oh man, I, mean, I just love, I just love that. Well, what fascinates visual. me about that, about that verse is he said, it's not that the, you know, water being poured on it gives it hope or rain coming on it or it being it, it just the scent. Mm-hmm. Just the smell that there might be rain coming gives yeah. it hope. Darren, thank you for being with us today. Yeah. Uh, for our folks out there, just want to remind y'all from time to time in the podcast, we mentioned different resources in the Explore the Bible family. We'll mention the Leader Pack, Adult Commentary, Quick Source, just to name a few. You can find out more about all the Explore the Bible resources on our website at goexplorethebible.com. That's goexplorethebible.com. There's no spaces no dashes or anything like that. Just go explorethebible.com. Thank you for listening to us this week, and we hope you'll join us next week. We'll be looking at session three. We'll be looking at Job 19, which includes that second declaration of faith by Job. Drew Dixon will be joining me. We'll be looking at that. Here next time.